0: Charles Alima, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you, John. Yes, it's a pleasure to have you. You're joining us from Long Island, New York. I'm south of Salt Lake City uh, in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about your recent book, HR Leadership During Bankruptcy and Organizational Change. I'm really excited to explore this because this is a slightly different angle to an organizational change topic that we talk about a lot on this podcast. And that is, you know, leading HR through bankruptcy as an organization is going through that kind of uh, strife. I think this is going to be really insightful. So I'm excited about this. We've been working on this, setting this up, and, and this has been in the books for a really long time. So I'm happy that we're finally able to sit down and have this conversation together. As we get started, I wanted to share... Charles's bio with everybody. With over 30 years of human resources generalist experience, Charles Alimo has overseen all global HR processes, including compensation, performance management, policy development, recruiting, learning, and development, and has worked closely with organizations, boards of directors with a global mindset. He is a self proclaimed global citizen with a high degree of cultural awareness and sensitivity. Currently, he serves as managing director of human resources for Group One Trading, LP, a privately held derivatives trading firm. Recently, Charles served as Senior Vice President of Human Resources for Aceto Corporation, where he was responsible for the global HR function and integration activities through three acquisitions and the company's Chapter 11 bankruptcy filing and sale in 2019. And I suspect we will be hearing more about that as we get into this conversation today. Uh, Again, Charles, it's a pleasure to have you. Anything else you would like to share with me or the audience by way of your background or personal context before we dive on in?
1: Uh, no, I think you covered everything, John. So uh, so again, happy to be here and happy to chat about uh, my experiences.
0: There are so many books around HR topics, uh, so many org change books. I guess my first question, well, really for any author, I like to ask why this book, why now? But why specifically um, did you feel it was important to write this book about HR leadership during bankruptcy?
1: great lead off question and and for me you know writing is a is a very cathartic experience so if i've been through something tough i like to kind of put my ideas on paper and just uh kind of write it away so to speak so um for me when it was announced that uh Aceto was entering a chapter 11 and looking for strategic buyers Um, My first thought was, um, as I had been at the company for eight years, like, how am I going to lead my organization and be credible with the employees, right? That that was my first thought. And I knew nothing about bankruptcy. And we had some really great consultants, which, which helped us through the process. But when I went out on my own to see what resources were out there, um, many of those resources were either written for in a financial uh, context, you know, and geared towards CFOs, obviously because of the topic, uh, or they were written for general counsel. So there was really nothing out there that an HR professional can kind of grasp um, and, and kind of succinctly guide them through the steps. And so what I wound up doing as I was going through the the process for uh, close to a year, um, took tons of notes. And uh, when I had left Aceto in April of 19, um, I took those notes and started writing the book in, in the hopes of helping another uh, HR or 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 business leader. Um, and so I wrote it in a very simplified manner as if we, we were discussing the topic over a cup of coffee. So that's how it all originated. And um, you know, I'm really happy I I I was able to get my thoughts down on paper.
0: Well, thank you for that. I appreciate the background. I think it's just really helpful to know where an author is coming from uh, when they're working on a, you know, a book like this. It's a labor of love. It's really intensive. It takes a lot of time and energy and thought, lots of revisions, all of that, right. um, that goes <laughs> into making a good book. That's a good experience for the reader. And that's helpful. And I appreciate how you identified the gaps in Uh, you know, all of the books out there. There's so many leadership books. There are so many HR books. There are so many org change books, you know, but I'm not aware of a lot of books that specifically address this issue uh, to fill the gaps the way that that you are, uh, which in and of itself is quite impressive that you're able to find that niche, um, uh, because you know, the, the market is flooded with content. Uh, so that's, that's really important to note. And we're going to dig into what that content is and, and what these lessons are, uh, for, for organizational leaders in HR, um, uh, people, uh, here as we continue with the conversation. Uh, but again, thanks for the background on the book. Um, Now, you have been through a lot of change throughout your career, um, changing not only your own career, your own evolution of your career path, the different roles that you've been in, all of those sorts of things. Um, But how and why was bankruptcy different from some of those other changes that you experienced either personally or that you saw within organizations when you're in these various roles? Um, How was it different? How was it similar? And maybe we can explore that a little bit.
1: Uh, Yeah, uh, you know, I. Throughout my career, I've been through so much change, and it's funny because people who know me, I'm I'm really a sentimentalist at heart, and I don't like a whole lot of change in in my personal life, so for some reason I've I've gravitated towards these roles in business, um, and and I've been good. I think... um, You know, as I mentioned earlier, the bankruptcy was so different uh, for me because I had very little knowledge of what to do. Now, I had been through um, several acquisitions before where we had taken companies on. I have been through, uh, had been through another sale uh, merger when I was with TDK Electronics. So um, in some respects, um, bankruptcy was completely different because we were dealing, um, and there were a ton of reporting uh, requirements that um, my department was, uh, amongst others. Uh, my department was asked to pull for uh, the courts, uh, for the um, you know uninsured creditors. So we had all of these requests coming at us at the same time. And 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 where the similarity really hits through any any organizational change. Um, it's worrying about the employees, right? And everyone, uh, including myself, was was kind of like, "What does this mean for us?" Right? I mean, in any change, um, you know, an an HR leader, um, you know, the CEO of the company, uh, no matter what you say, employees boil it down to one statement: "What does this change mean for me?" And so. Um, having been through so much change um, in my career, I, I felt I was in a good place to really. Once I got my bearings about uh, the bankruptcy process uh, and what was happening, making sure that our employees felt that you know they were in the know uh, as much as we could, um, you know, release because because again, being a public company, uh, we had to be very careful about. Uh, releasing non-public information Um, but you know a lot of the same premises just making sure that you know there's open and frequent communication that leadership is visible uh, that employees feel like their questions are being answered so we we did that with a lot of town halls and a lot of like one-on-one individual discussions.
0: And I know there are so many different change models that are used. You know, I I teach some of these in the university space when I'm teaching an org development and change class. You know, we'll go through various models, we'll apply them, we'll do case studies, we'll do projects where the students have a chance to experience it. Experience right. it. But I know every firm tends to have their kind of their own model, that their their own approach as they. Um, deal with change. Every consulting organization tends to have their own uh, specific approach. Uh, have have there been any particular change models that you've honed in on over time uh, that you found helpful uh, to apply in these types of situations or perhaps, um, you know, gaps that you see in the existing models that are out there?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I'm, 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 having studied in HR and with my undergrad and and masters you know we we learn a lot of the theoretical a lot of the the model and how that applies and I, you know the best the best advice and and what I've kind of followed is really just know your organization and what's going to work right um uh for me I I've gravitated towards the kubler ross change curve um which Almost like and and its origination is, is is very much like the stages of grief, right? That uh, you know, employees when they hear news about a change, they're gonna go through denial, they're gonna go through acceptance, they're going to, you know, uh go through all of the all of the stages of grief that an individual goes through when they lose someone close to them. And so I, I've kind of gravitated towards that and I've used it very loosely. Um, you know, what I prefer is, um, and, and for people that have known me throughout um, my organizations, I'm, I'm very transparent. Um, you know, it's, it's just really understanding your audience. And I think that um, that has served me well um, in, in the various companies that I've worked at. And specifically at Aceto, um, we were about uh, close to 300 at the time of uh, our, um, our chapter 11. And, you know, between the U.S. and our foreign subsidiaries, I had, I had grown uh, pretty deep relationships with everyone. And so that helped me um, make sure that the message got across, but also uh, what was the best modality, Uh, you know there's also that that phrase that sometimes people need to hear bad news or 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 news seven times before it actually sinks in so constantly reiterating the message uh, you know of what we wanted to deliver and making sure that at the end of the day our employees felt like um, they were being taken care of and heard Um, but yeah for me I you know I I I love the models it really gives you a framework but I I pr- I prefer to really work with um you know understanding the organization and what's going to work within within that specific company.
0: Yeah, it's it sounds like we probably have a similar approach. Um I think models are great. Uh they're, especially when you're new to the field and you're trying to learn how to um make sense of complex data, you know, the the right. all the complex right. uh information in the context that are out there. But the reality is models are simplified versions of reality by necessity, right? right? <laughs> um and every context is different. Every organization is different. Uh you can get two similarly sized companies with similar backstory kind of histories and, and progression of development, um, same sector, same industry. And guess what? No two change initiatives. You know those companies are going to be the same uh, right, and and right. and so you got to be really careful uh, when you become a little bit, you know, I see it so often where people get really dogmatic around these models. Uh, and it's it's almost like their religion. it's it's like gospel to them that this is the model that you have to follow. And the reality is they're op- oversimplified versions of reality that provide some good insights and give us ways to make sense of a messy, complex world. Uh, but at the end of the day, there's no substitute for just knowing the organization, listening to the people, getting input, uh, collecting data, you know, just in understanding the unique context that you find yourself in every time you're going through these types of initiatives. Um, And so models are great as long as we don't become overly reliant on them. And as you said, you know, just know the organization, get to know the organization. That goes a really long way uh, as you try to foster you know, greater levels of transparency and open communication, and 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 buy in amongst the various stakeholders to help you know improve the chances of a change initiative being successful and positive and healthy. Exactly, and and
1: you know, and and one other thing that I uh, I'll add, uh, John is, um, you know, a lot of times there are roadblocks, right? You you have employees that uh, aren't on board, and and they do everything in their power to. Uh, disrupt or block um and 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 you know in a certain way become a cancer within the organization of what we 're trying to do and and you know it's really important to deal with those um sometimes you're able to to turn those situations around with a lot of coaching, but you know very often um you, you know you have to deal with that right and whether it's uh, unfortunately, in some cases having to exit the individual out so the change can proceed and and that's happened uh, you know several times not at Aceto, but at other at other um career junctures for me um, and having to make those decisions, so you know the whole is better off um you know rather than being brought down by one or two individuals that can really um cause a lot of damage within the organization so just wanted to add
0: that yeah yeah and it's it's a it's a tricky thing because on the one hand you need psychological safety so that people feel uh like they have uh, a safe space to, to speak up and to speak out and to point out problems and challenges and, and those sorts of things. And sometimes someone simply sounding the alarm can become labeled very quickly within an organization as a problem person, you know, as someone who's not right. a team player. Um, and, but that's not what you're talking about. No. And so we <laughs> have, we have to be very careful, you know, as we're trying to quote unquote, you know, deal with uh, the 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 people who aren't getting on board, uh, but also recognizing we need space for people to provide dissent, uh, and to speak up and to share their input. Uh, th- in fact, that's a part of the process of generating buy-in is when you create that psychological, psychological safety, then more people are going to feel like they're part of the process. They're going to feel like they've been heard. Uh, and they're going to feel like the ultimate out, the ultimate outcome, uh, is better for the institution as a whole, uh, and they're, they'll get caught up less on the little things that, you know, may not be as ideal or exactly what they would want to do or how they would like to see the changes made.
1: Right. And, and that dissent is also critical as well. And uh, that feedback um, because it also forces us, right, you know, the leader leadership in the organization to maybe think of things that maybe we haven't thought of, right? Um, and, you know, as, as you're going through like major organizational shifts, sometimes you do miss some things, right? I mean, leaders are not perfect. And, and it's really critical that we do have um, those employees that feel comfortable bringing things up to us. Um, in, a, in a proactive manner and feel that, you know, they could do so in a safe space, because they also teach us and they make us better leaders. Uh, just just thinking about maybe aspects that we didn't consider. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, and 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 look, you know, I it, I, I think in any organization you do have a, you always have influential uh, individuals that, um, you know, are respected by their peers. They carry a lot of weight. Maybe sometimes they're all often used as representatives for a larger group of employees, right? And and it's really important to hear them out. Um, but, you know, the, the example I was using is, you know very often you have one or two rogue individuals that yep. will do everything to undermine <laughs> uh it, it, you know um uh, any any uh positive feedback or direction and that's and and that's where i think as a firm you have a responsibility to really um you know watch out and take care of those situations
0: Yeah. And this kind of leads into, I think, what will have to be our last question. I I note the time it's flying by and I'll have to let you go here in a few minutes, but uh, maybe the last question for today is, what does this look like then uh, from a leadership perspective? uh, If I'm trying to lead change in an organization, generally, yes, but specifically within this this kind of disruptive situation of bankruptcy, uh, and I'm trying to create a psychologically safe environment. I'm trying to have open communication, seek feedback, listen carefully, um, lead strategically, like all those sorts of things. What are some of the most important traits that you've seen in your experience that is going to help someone navigate that minefield, uh, as a leader in that environment, because it's not going to be easy. And like you said, there, no one's going to be perfect. There's going to be missteps. Right. Um, I guess the the trick is to not uh you know, missteps are fine, but you also don't want to step on that mine <laughs> and then blow. Right. So, <laughs> so how, how do we what are those most uh, important traits that we need to be dealing with?
1: Well, you know, what what's really interesting is um, you know, during the bankruptcy and using my own experience, um we, we were all so busy with so many different requests coming in at a time and, and very often behind closed doors, a good amount of time. Um at a time where leadership really does need to be visible, right? So it was a balancing act and one that we consciously took to make sure that we just weren't behind our closed doors all day responding to these myriad of requests. And so, and, and, and in your book, I think, you know, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership. I know you talk a little bit about the competencies for Uh, for leaders, the future of work. And I think no matter where the organization is, um, some of the key attributes or traits that I've seen, especially during the bankruptcy or in any change, it's, and and I don't list these in any particular order, but empathy is critical, right? I I, I think, you know, very often, um, you know, leaders lose sight of that, um, you know, and, Having the empathy, understanding what the change means for the employees and being able to connect is 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 critical. Um, communication, uh, and we talked about that a lot uh this morning, uh just about getting out there and the communication can be informal, right? Hey, I'm you know, I'm in the kitchen and I'm talking to five people. Uh, to more of the town halls right uh that 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 we did throughout the process, so it really is important in, in terms of the communication um, two others transparency super critical and I think what what, what enabled me to be um uh, you know to to kind of guide my organization through this is that um being in the corporate office here in New York I traveled very frequently to our foreign subsidiaries and so I built that trust and credibility over time and so when the change was coming um you know I was I was as transparent as I could be and you know more importantly that trust and credibility really got me through right and and our team really um understood where we were they believed me and that was really important in getting us through and then finally decisiveness i I, you know i've i've worked with leaders that um just could not make a decision and sometimes that is a decision right that you just choose to deny it or choose to overlook it so uh, decisiveness is super, is super critical because you're making uh, very often uh, in those types of situations really quick decisions um, that are going to impact individuals. And so uh, decisiveness, transparency, communication, empathy, yeah. all critical.
0: Yeah, love it. Love it. Charles, this has just been a really great conversation. I know we've only scratched the surface, uh, but you have a book so people can check it out and find out more. Um, (laughs) As we wrap things up, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, where they can find your book, and then give us the final word on the topic for today.
1: Sure. Um, so I'm, I'm reachable on LinkedIn. Um, I, I, you can also uh, reach me at my uh, email address, which is simply my name, Charles J. Alimo at gmail.com. Um, and, it, you know, and also my book can be found on Springer Publishing, as well as Amazon. Uh, it's also part of the, uh, SHRM library. Uh, so you could definitely uh, look at it from there. And, and look, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer that there is no bad experience or just learning experiences. And for me, the bankruptcy was, was another learning experience that I really, um, I grew, you know, I grew through and to say that after 30 years in HR is great, right? Every day you're growing and uh, just keep growing, looking for those opportunities. So thank you, John.
0: Wonderful. Thank you, Charles. It's been a real pleasure. I encourage the audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Charles can do for you. Check out the book. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page. And please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level